We, uh, we've come to the last chapter in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we will finish the Sermon on the Mount the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and then we will start some sort of Advent sermon series uh, the next Sunday. So Jesus, in chapter 7, is going to finish the sermon talking about relationships. Yeah, I don't know what he's... he's I think he's coming... Yeah, tell him to come around that way. There you go. There we go. All right. So uh, Jesus is going to finish the Sermon on the Mount talking about relationships. How should we relate to other Christians? Um, How should we relate to unbelievers? And then how should we relate to God? It is uh, impossible for us to live the Christian life alone. Everything that God asks us to do, everything that Jesus requires of his disciples, involves other people or God himself. Okay, so you cannot effectively or um, obediently live the Christian life alone. It has to be done in community. It has to be done with other people. And that's what chapter 7 is going to kind of address those relationships. And Jesus is fully aware that we will have great difficulty keeping these commandments because relationships are exceedingly difficult. And that's the issue with people, right? We can't live without them, but they're, they're difficult. Relationships are difficult because I'm difficult. I'm not easy to live with. I'm not easy to be a friend with. There's certain things about our sinful nature that just makes it difficult, right? And so we're going to look at some of that. This morning we're going to start reading verse 1, Matthew 7. It says this. We're going to read through verse 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? Or, how can you say to your brother, let me first take the speck out of your, or let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then he says this, verse 6, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is uh, the word of Jesus, the word of God. So, question, what does Jesus mean when he commands us not to judge other people? Okay, raise your hand if you've heard this before. Okay, so if you've heard this part of the Sermon on the Mount, I judge not lest you be judged, okay? Even if you're not really familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard this before. But what does Jesus mean by it? It's actually kind of a confusing statement, Um, does Jesus mean that we should never form or express an opinion about someone else? Is that what he's saying? 
Is Jesus telling us that we should turn a blind eye when we see faults in other people? We should never point those things out or address them or be concerned about them. We should just stay in our lane, right? This has actually become, I think, a very important moral issue for our culture. In fact, it may be the only remaining moral issue in our culture, right? Uh, Our culture says, the world says, we must affirm the life choices of every person or else we will be labeled intolerant. So when the world reads this verse 1, they get excited, right? Judge not lest you be judged. And the culture says, that's right. Don't judge me. You stay in your lane. I'll live my life. You live your life. Is that what Jesus is saying? Is that what he's endorsing? I don't think so. I don't think that's it at all. And I'm going to do my best to defend that. Okay, And it doesn't take much because look at the verse on the screen. Verse 6. In this verse, right after that passage on not judging, Jesus says not to give what is holy to dogs, not to cast pearls before pigs. He's clearly talking about people. And we're going to come back to what verse 6 means in a few minutes, but my question for you is, how am I supposed to follow Jesus' instructions in that verse if I can't judge whether or not someone is a dog or a pig. That's crass, but that's exactly what Jesus says, right? So what I want to suggest to you is that in 2022, Jesus would be celebrated if he posted verse 1 on social media. Judge not, lest you be judged. And everybody says, Amen. Right? But then Jesus posts verse 6 the next week, immediately canceled. (laughs) Right? Immediately canceled for that. You can't call people dogs and pigs. Who's he talking about? Why is he saying this, right? You could go even further if you consider some of the other things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus told us that we should be different from the world around us. He told us that our righteousness should exceed that of the religious leaders. Well, how are we supposed to evolve... uh, How are we supposed to avoid the false piety of the hypocritical religious leaders or the worldly ambition of the pagans unless we look for it and make some assessment about other people and about ourselves? You see, that's impossible to do. And so that type of judgment is obviously not what Jesus is concerned about. What kind of judgment then is Jesus talking about? And I want to suggest that as we've done all through the Sermon on the Mount, this is really a question of the heart. And I believe that Jesus is mostly concerned with a spirit of condemnation. Okay? A spirit of condemnation. What do I mean by that? Well, think about pride. Think about a a self-righteous spirit, a feeling of superiority, feeling that you're better than other people, being uncharitable towards others in their sin, in their 
failures. Taking delight in someone else's failure. Actually feeling better about yourself because you see someone else struggling. Because you see someone else failing. Hoping that someone gets what they deserve. That would be a spirit of condemnation. Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, who wrote an excellent sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, he provides some helpful ways to spot this type of judgment. I'm going to give you some of these, okay? He says, people with a spirit of condemnation are often hypercritical. Now, constructive criticism is a good thing, right? If you see something in a friend or in a family member that you, that maybe they don't see because you've got a desire to build that person up to make them better because you care about them, there is a way to go about it. We'll talk about that in a moment. But hypercritical people enjoy finding faults with other people. It's, it's a lifestyle for them. It's a way of life. They, they dig to find and then they love to expose the problems in other people. People with a spirit of condemnation always hope for the worst. They like watching people fail, especially if that failure makes them look better. People with a spirit of condemnation are quick to pass judgment on someone that is not really of any concern to them, right? So I might not even have a real relationship with this person, but I'm concerned with how they're living their life. So how how much of my time do I spend sharing my opinions about people that I don't even really have any direct dealings with? This would be this type of spirit, right? Do we find pleasure in being malicious towards people that we don't even know that well? People with a spirit of condemnation often turn their own prejudices into principles. Okay, so what this means is I've decided that something is wrong because I don't like it or I don't agree with it. Even though Scripture says nothing about it, And then I take that principle and I judge someone else based on my self-made principle, okay? So this would include things like political opinions. This would include things such as parenting decisions. You know, judging someone else for how they choose to parent their kids, right? Um, This would include cultural preferences, judging someone for the way they dress or the way they do their hair or the type of music that they enjoy or how they express themselves or something along those lines, right? Those types of condemnations are are inappropriate for Christians. People with a spirit of condemnation will often express an opinion without knowing all the facts. And this is like off the charts in our current cultural moment, right? Instead of going to the trouble of actually getting to know someone and finding out what's really going on, we decide we've got it all figured out and then we pass judgment. And so what this attitude shows is that we're not really concerned with truth or holiness, that we hide behind that, right? 
I mean, self-righteous people love to hide behind the veneer of I'm right, I'm holy, I know what I'm doing, right? And we'll call it truth. But we don't really care about what the other person did or said. We just like the feeling of being superior. We like the feeling of condemning that person. We actually feed off of it. And I think this is what Jesus is actually speaking to. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. And I think that's a way of him saying, have you forgotten who you are? Have you forgotten what you deserve? How is it possible for you, sinner, to condemn someone who deserves the same punishment as you? Who among us can cast the first stone, right? And then Jesus goes on to teach, not only should we not condemn others in this way because we also will be judged, but he says, I don't want you to do it as my disciples because you can't do it well. We are incapable of helping someone remove sawdust from their eye because we have a two-by-four in ours. There's a, um, a rare brain condition. Uh, I saw this years ago on the TV show House, okay? So, and then I looked it up to make sure it was real. It is real, um, but it is, a, it is very rare. It's known as Anton Syndrome. Anton Syndrome, okay? It's a condition where the person thinks they can see, but their brain isn't processing the data correctly. So their eyes are healthy, they're not blind, but their brain doesn't know what to do with the information from what they're seeing. And so the patient may describe seeing things that aren't really there, right? Like, don't you all see the elephant standing right there in the room? Is it... Nobody else sees it. It's, it's a big elephant. You don't see it, right? And so that's what's going on. They, they really believe because they're seeing it, they just, it's not real. Their brain is telling them it's, it's real. And this is how I think it, it, this is how we all are when it comes to our own spiritual diagnosis. All of us feel equipped to judge other people But what Jesus is saying is that we're not as good at it as we think we are. Because the only person who actually has the power to condemn any of us is Christ because He's the only pure person in the universe. He's the only one whose, whose sight is not unadulterated by sin. And so when we try to condemn someone else, it will always have a measure of hypocrisy to it because our reality is just as distorted by sin as the other person's. Now, there's one exception to this. There's one exception to this, and that's church discipline. If you keep reading Matthew 18, Jesus is going to institute this idea of church discipline, that there is a way within the community of faith of dealing with unrepentant sin in the church, but it's not an individual effort. 
by itself. Now, you, he says you may go one-on-one, -on -one, and you should start there with another person in the community of faith. But if they do not repent, if they do not listen, then it becomes a group effort by the elders. Okay, so the condemnation is not happening one-on-one. -on -one. The condemnation comes after careful, prayerful pursuit by the group of elders. It's never an individual Christian passing judgment. So if we really want to help someone else, what Jesus is saying is we must be willing always to start with ourselves. Is it possible that I am condemning this person or even approaching their sin wrongly? Am I actually concerned for them? What's going on in my heart as I approach this person? Do I really care about them? Is this why I feel compelled to speak the truth in love. I like how Jesus uses the analogy of removing sawdust from someone's eye. Okay, Do people normally help other people get specks out of their eye? <laughs> not usually, right? Because it's not easy to do. Okay, I prefer... we. You know, when Jesus said this, they didn't really have mirrors like we have now, you know. So I would much prefer to look in the mirror and get the speck out of my own eye, right? Um, maybe back then it was more common. But how many of you like the idea of someone else sticking their finger in your eye? Raise your hand if you enjoy that. Okay, Ronan's the only one. Josh, Mary, check on this kid. Okay, Marjorie. Um, Right, you know, if I'm going to let someone else help me with that, I have to really trust them. And even then, it's not, it's not something that I'm going to enjoy. Right? It would be a delicate procedure. It would take patience. It takes trust. When we go to someone in love, to help them see and to recognize their own sin, we have got to approach it with patience, care, sympathy, and calmness. It is a delicate thing to deal with people on this deep of a level. It would be unloving of me to just ignore a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling with something that maybe they don't see. That would be wrong. But we can't expect to really help someone if we're unwilling to come at it in a, in a delicate, patient way, right? Because we're dealing with their soul. This week I heard a counselor say that we need to prepare our hearts for this type of encounter. And what he said is that the posture of my heart when I'm approaching something like this with another person, it needs to look like this. I cannot effectively approach the sin of another person if I'm coming at them eye level or above them. In my heart, the posture needs to be humble. If not, it will never be received well. And we know this, right? From personal interactions, we know that people 
don't receive criticism well. I don't. I'm more likely to receive it if someone comes to me and I can tell this is really they care. This is not condemnation. But now what are we supposed to do with verse 6? Because to be honest, this is a really startling verse. Look at it again. He says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And what in the world does this mean, right? I believe what Jesus is doing here is he's providing us with a very practical check or balance against what he just said in verses 1 through 5 and even in the previous chapters. So what I think is that this verse is actually giving us permission to exercise some discernment in our relationships. Jesus expects us, we know this from chapter 5, he expects his people to let their light shine before the world. So we're expected to engage with the world, to be um, a source of light to the world, to be a good influence on the world, right? But Jesus is not asking us to keep trying to share the gospel with people who've already rejected the message or people who may even seek to persecute the church. Now, persecution will come, but he's not telling us to just ask for it, right? Jesus also expects us to deal charitably with our brothers or sisters in Christ. He expects us to carefully approach their sin with a goal of restoration and healing, but he's not asking us to go and confront the sins of people outside the community of faith expecting change. That that might be a bad idea. And I think that's exactly how his Jewish listeners would have interpreted this because dogs and pigs were considered unclean and the Jews had nothing to do with those animals, right? The dogs at that time were not cute, fluffy pets like, like our dogs. They were wild and often dangerous scavengers. Um, my family spent some time out west during sabbatical, and um, we had the opportunity to see several bears in the wild. Uh, we saw some grizzly bears. We saw some black bears. And there were signs everywhere in all the national parks. Uh, the signs said, do not what? Do not feed the bears. Okay. Why should you not feed the bears? Because bears that become too comfortable around humans are the bears that usually attack humans. And so everywhere they have bear-proof trash cans. And you're supposed to put your food and, and trash in those bins so the bears can't get to it because a fed bear is a dead bear, right? That's the, a lot of the signs say things like that because those bears become too comfortable and they may attack people, and that has happened, right? And I think that that sort of captures what Jesus means when he says, lest they turn and attack you. So God will provide opportunities for the gospel 
to reach his lost sheep, but we should be cautious with the world. It is pointless to try and correct someone who is not going to receive it. And there are other places in the Bible that we can find this teaching. Look at Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8. It says, Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. That's the principle right there that I think Jesus is speaking to. And then Matthew 10, a couple chapters after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sends out his disciples to preach the gospel. But look at his instructions. He says, And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, he says, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. I think this is the type of discernment that Jesus is encouraging in Matthew 7, verse 6. He's saying, don't try to give the good news to people who clearly don't want it. Don't try to, you know, call out sin in people's lives who are rejecting you, who don't want to have anything to do with that, right? And so the Spirit will go before us and will prepare the hearts of God's people to receive God's Word. If it's not being received, keep moving. Trust God to deal with that person in the future or at the final judgment, but it's not on us. And then speaking of false teachers and people who walk away from the church, Peter says this. This is uh, 1 Peter 2, I believe, verse 21. It says, For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Notice he calls them dogs and sows. A sow is a female pig. Same language as Jesus. Now listen, all of this probably sounds uh, a little harsh, and I do think we need to temper our response to it for the simple reason that Jesus spends five verses telling us not to judge and then only gives us one verse cautioning us to have discernment, right? That's likely because Jesus knows that our problem is usually hypocrisy. <laughs> so, um, so temper this a little bit in, in the way you think about it. I don't think Jesus is authorizing us to just label people dogs and pigs. I think he's using a an overstatement to make a point. But the way we might summarize the message of all six verses today is this. I think Jesus is telling us to exercise caution when you're dealing with other people's souls and especially when you're handling the invaluable message of the gospel. Exercise caution. Consider your heart, your approach, what's going on inside of you. Why are you approaching this person? What do you hope to accomplish? And don't keep trying if it's not received. It's helpful to remember how God has dealt with us. 
What does the gospel teach? God is slow to anger and abounding in grace, but he is also just. Right? God has dealt with our sin carefully and mercifully in Christ Jesus, but rejecting Christ, refusing to repent, what does it result in? It results in judgment. This is especially important for people in the church who believe that they are saved just from like being around God or for doing Christian things, right? Which we talked about before the sermon, that Reformation principle of faith alone, right? What gets me in God's good graces is not me being a better person. It's faith in Jesus Christ who is that perfect righteousness that I need to be welcomed by the Father. And so, if you've not truly repented, if you're not resting in and receiving the work of Christ on your behalf, then then none of this is really going to make sense. And so we pray together for the Spirit to make that plain to you. But I want you to remember, I'm going to close with this. This may seem like a strange place to close, but... I think in light of what Jesus is teaching, I think it makes sense. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 26, says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries of God. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. He says, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I'm closing here because I I think it's important for us sometimes to feel the weight. Like this is, we're not just playing church. God is holy. He is just. We deserve this. It is only by His grace that that we will not face this. And when we think about approaching other people, brothers and sisters in Christ, um, other people that we know are lost, sheep, that we would love to see come to faith, okay, this, we're not, we're not just you know, lobbing truth grenades at them and hope like this is people's souls we're talking about. This is my soul, your soul that we're talking about. An eternal soul is a weighty thing. And so even as we feel the weight of that, I pray that we would also know that the grace of God is sufficient to match it. Our hope is secure in Christ. I'm not trying to give anybody some, you know, 
uh, doubts about their salvation this morning, but I am trying to encourage us that this Jesus speaks so forcefully about these relationships because they matter. The people that we see, the people that we talk to, the people in our families and our churches, they are made in the image of God. They are souls that will one day spend an eternity with Christ or an eternity without Him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I know that we cannot speak about judgment without feeling some sense of the weight of what we deserve. My words cannot uh, do it justice. I pray that your spirit would press down upon us this morning the, the weight of, of what it means to deal with people's souls. But that we would also know you to be uh, the same Jesus who just a few chapters later is going to say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light we would find you to be our rest. Father, as we approach other people, would you help us to first see that we have great sin and that we must come to others in a posture of humility, knowing what we deserve, thinking only of others ahead of ourselves. We can do this only in reflection upon the gospel, grace that you've shown us. We pray for that help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing of God's faithfulness.